Welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. Today's speaker is Stephen Brannan. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, God is one. Amen. In today's gospel, uh, Peter is obviously miffed at somebody. They casually ask Jesus how many times he's required to forgive this somebody. At least that's the idea uh, you could have if you didn't know the context of this passage, which is actually that Jesus was in the middle of instructing them on how to reconcile with people who had sinned against them. Jesus uh, was telling them, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he, least, if he listens to you, you have gained a brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. And if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. It's funny, though, that with all those fascinating words about binding and loosing and the authority that Jesus is giving his disciples and how they can just simply agree on a request with a couple of them and it would be granted by the Father, Peter's mind is still stuck on the whole forgiveness thing. And he goes back, interrupting Jesus to ask, yeah, but how many times do we have to forgive? And Jesus graciously goes down the rabbit hole with Peter and he corrects his idea about forgiveness, not only with a new commandment saying, uh, forgive 77, seven times seven, 70 times seven, whatever it is. Um, But he gives them a parable to boot, explaining how forgiveness works in the kingdom of heaven. Peter's idea of forgiving seven times, uh, and I assume that that means seven times for the same offense and not just in general. Otherwise, how could anybody remain friends with anyone or how could anybody stay married? Uh, That would be impossible. So I assume Peter's saying, how many times should someone be forgiven for doing the exact same thing? Up to seven times? And the seven times idea was probably a rabbinic idea. I don't think Peter just made it up off the top of his head. I think he had heard this uh, among the scribes and Pharisees as uh, an interpretation of how to um, fill in and interpret the reconciliation laws in the Torah. But Jesus completely blows this idea out of the water by saying not seven, but 77, or seven times seven, or 70 times seven, depending on how it's translated. Uh, It's translated differently because it's basically a play on words he's using to say Seven, then seven more, then seven more, then seven more, etc. The point is, and everyone, this is universally interpreted this way, what Jesus means is ongoing, never ending, forever. You should keep on forgiving. And to illustrate the kind of extravagant forgiveness that he has in mind, to, to really drive home the point that you really ought to forgive someone continuously, he tells a story about debt forgiveness by the master to the servant. And the sum that he uses, 10,000 talents, is an extreme number. That's a huge debt. Um, No servant should have any business owing a king that much money. So Jesus is making a point that this is 
a huge sum. And the penalty for not paying that back could have justly been exercised against the servant, but because of both the servant's pleading and the master's immense compassion and pity, the debt is forgiven in its entirety. That's how God forgives. That's the point of the parable. The king in the story is obviously God, and the servant is, well, any of us. But as an extra added warning for his disciples' sake and for ours, Jesus adds a bit of extra to the story. He goes on and he says, But then that same servant, having attained this huge forgiveness from this unspeakable debt, goes on and refuses to forgive one of his fellow servants a measly little debt, just a few denarii. Uh, The result of this is that the master revokes his forgiveness of that first servant and throws him in prison. The lesson is clear. If you don't forgive others, God won't forgive you. We think of God's forgiveness as being unconditional, but that's not the case. In the New Testament, in the Gospels themselves, we see it over and over. There is a condition to God's forgiveness of our sins, and that is that we forgive others. Jesus said exactly as much 12 chapters earlier in Matthew 6:15, but if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. And in the most important prayer that he ever taught us that we say over and over every day, he put the same principle in supplicatory form. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us. Why does it work like this? Because our relationship with others has a direct bearing on our relationship with God and vice versa. Our vertical love to God and our horizontal love for others weave together like yarn in two directions to weave for us our garment of salvation, our wedding garment for the wedding feast of the Lamb. The thing that makes us prepared to enter the kingdom of heaven is to love God with all that we have and to love our neighbors as ourselves. Both of these loves working together and the two, if one fails, the other fails. The whole garment unravels. They both have to be um, part of our lives, part of the way we behave. We can't just say we love God and not love our neighbors. And this new covenant commandment that Jesus gives, uh, a revelation that as Christians, we ought not to be um, loving people just at a bare minimum or according to some arbitrary moral standard, seven times or whatever, but the way that God himself loves people. This is the principle which from the start made the church of Christ stand out in the world. This is the principle that made Christians immediately look and behave differently than everyone around them. It's what makes us, or should make us, still today radically different in our behavior, in in how the world perceives us, because we actually strive to love people the way God loves people. That's part of our mission statement in this church. Listen to what St. Paul says speaking to greeting the church in Philippi in his letter to them. This is from the epistle for the Mass today. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy, thankful for your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It's right for me to feel thus about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, 
both in my imprisonment, he's writing this letter from prison, and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruits of righteousness which come through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What an amazing greeting Paul's writing to a church, a group of people that have learned to share the message of the gospel that he shared with them, this message of loving the world as God loves them. It's a, it's a message that clearly has sunk into the hearts of the church at Philippi and been a part of their communal identity, a part of their lives. Paul is acknowledging this and saying, you know, this, this is the way I greet you. I love you. I yearn to be with you because we all share in this same message, the message that we heard in the gospel today, that you should continually forgive others, that your love should be unbounded. Imagine if this greeting was sent straight to us from St. Paul. Could, could we accept it? Could you receive that type of greeting from Paul? I mean, does that, is that appropriate for what we are here, for the kind of church that we are, the kind of people we are? Uh, to the Church of the Advent in Atlanta, grace to you and peace from our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God and all my remembrance of you. Always in every prayer for y'all. Paul would use our colloquial, I imagine. Making my prayer with joy, thankful for your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. From the first day that we planted. We weren't in the Orthodox Church when we planted, but... There's a continuity uh, still from that day to this day. We're the same, uh, of the same spirit. We were always on the road uh, to orthodoxy, and it just took us a few years to get there. And, and here we are. So from that first day until now, would Paul have been thankful for our partnership in the gospel, the things that we've done, the ways that we've worshipped, the service that we've given others, the transformation of our hearts from showing up and praying together that we then take out into the world and live in our daily lives? Is that how Paul would interpret our lives, the mission and history of this church? Would he say to us that I'm confident that he who began a good work in us back then will continue to perform that goodness in us, will continue to... um, bring us to completion in the day of Jesus Christ? Will what we have started in this church be continued out, drawn out through history to continue bearing fruit until the day of Christ? Uh, Could St. Paul say, it's good, it's right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart? Would an author of the New Testament, an apostle of Christ, feel that way about us and hold us in his heart? Could he say that we are all partakers of the same grace that he experienced, that we share in his suffering of uh, being imprisoned for the sake of the gospel, that we share in his defense of the gospel, that we share in his confirmation of the gospel? In other words, that the gospel works in our lives the same as it worked in his. Can he say that about us? 
Could he say that with God as his witness, he yearns for us to be unified with us, to share in our lives with the same affection that Christ would have for us? Could he say that it is his prayer that our love may abound more and more, that our love and our forgiveness more and more approximates and matches the boundless love and forgiveness of God, that we grow in knowledge and all discernment as the church in Philippi so that we may approve what is excellent. Do we recognize what's good versus what's bad? Can we tell the difference? Can we uh, stand up for what's good, approving what is excellent? And will we be pure and blameless on the day of Christ as he prays for the church of Philippi? filled with the fruits of righteousness which come through Jesus Christ to his glory and to the praise of God? I hope so. I think that's an open question, a question that we should keep before our minds. Are we living the way that Jesus tells Peter, this is the kind of forgiveness you need to have. This is the extent of the love. Are we living the way that Paul is praising the church in Philippi for? That's what's put to us as a challenge through the lectionary readings this morning. So as we contemplate those things and uh, hopefully let them sink into our hearts, I pray that we will find the answer approximating yes to all those questions more and more in our daily lives and in the life of this church. May it be so, Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, God is one. Amen. Talks at Advent. Homilies and Reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia.